0: As a grown man, which bug gives you the most heebie-jeebies when oh. you see it?
1: Spiders. I hate spiders. I don't think spiders are technically bugs, but I don't care. They are the worst.
0: Do you have a... I do. <laughs> do you... I hate earwigs. Earwigs. They're, like, really skinny long with, like, weird points, and I I have a, a hammock set up in my backyard, and I leave the hammocks up pretty much all summer, yeah. I'll go in, sit in the hammock, and every once in a while, there's just, like, four or five earwigs in the hammock, and they're crawling all around. I just hate it.
1: You ever, like, lay down in it? and then they Yes. Start... Oh, and
0: they're, okay. they're on top of me, and I, they're, like, just in the sides, and I get out, and <laughs> like, I shake the hammock out, and I'm just, like, inspecting the whole thing, because I just hate, hate, hate when they're there. Uh, so, yeah.
1: Spiders. Spiders are... oh, they're just so creepy. And, like, a little spider does is an issue, but it's when it starts getting to the spiders that are, like, the size... It's like half your hand, and I know they'll get way bigger than that, but it's like, oh my gosh, I can't even handle it. Welcome to IndieQ, which where we talk about bugs on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm Bradley. I'm Paul. We're glad that you are here. Today, we are jumping into the bug-themed video game called Hollow
0: Knight. Yes. Uh, so Hollow Knight is, I think we get front of it right away, is... It's a Metroidvania, which uh, is a, a classic in-the-video-game staple, but I think there's probably a lot of you guys out who don't know what a uh, Metroidvania is. So, Brad, can you uh, give a quick definition? Probably not.
1: I have not played a lot of Metroidvania <laughs> games, but I will try, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. So, a Metroidvania game is a game where you start at kind of like a low level. Your character is at its lowest level, and you're going out and you're finding different... Um, parts or different things that upgrade your character, which will allow you to gain access to new areas in the world. Uh, a lot of times you're going to backtrack over areas that you had been before, but because you didn't have an item or whatever it is to allow you to, to get to a special area. Maybe you don't have the ability to jump a second time, so you can't get to things that are really high in the air. Um, in Metroid, which Metroidvanias are named after, you might need to. I need a blue laser to get myself through this door.
0: Yeah, Metroidvania is actually a combination of uh, Metroid and Castlevania, uh, two games that came out about the same time that had very similar design philosophies, which. Uh, we now refer to it as Metroidvania games, just as Brad uh, alluded to. Was that right about what a Metroidvania is? That's what I would pretty much classify <laughs> Okay, so. okay. That's good. <laughs> Works for
1: me. I knew it was a Metroidvania, but that's what I assumed it meant. <laughs> Anyways, so we did mention it was bug-themed, and that is definitely a theme, but... I think a lot of times, bugs for a lot of people kind of creep them out. Um, The characters in this game, I would not classify as creepy, but the aesthetics of the game are going for
0: that kind of dark and dingy kind of feel. It's like... My my wife thinks all the characters are very cute. But you're in this oppressive, dark world. So it's like a grim, dark uh, world and experience, and just everything is kind of drab and run down. uh, Still beautifully presented. Mixed with a lot of cute characters and some horrific ones. But I would say the vast majority are are cute. And the more horrific ones, none of them border on the grotesque. Nah. It's not like a, g- a gory, slime, nightmare fuel. It's a lot of just like, oh, this is a bug and I don't like that is here and I need to kill it.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so probably a lot of the, the maybe cuter bugs or things in the, in the world... Are probably the, the like the NPCs, the non-player characters that you interact with that you're not actually fighting. Those are the the characters that probably have the most character. <laughs> you interact with them on a number of different places, whether it's a shopkeeper or someone who you'll come across who is helping you on your journey. Um, but those are the the bugs that have more of that cute aesthetic too.
0: Yeah, it. and a lot of them are mixed the cute the cute aesthetic visually with also some very fun uh, audio cues. Um, there's a, a character in the game called Cornifer, who is a map maker. Who, if you find him throughout the world, you can buy maps to the world to help you navigate better. And when you're near him, you start hearing him humming, boom, 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 boom. And so, like, I don't know, it's a, a very like happy, safe sound when you hear, like, oh, close. I'm close to somewhere where I'm gonna finally be able to figure out where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. My wife watched me play this a lot, and she'll quote a lot of... Uh, Bomponada! There's <laughs> another one. Uh, her favorite one is... Dung Defender! <laughs> and so she'll quote those at me uh, from time to time, uh, just because it's uh, it's a fun, fun sounds, and uh, they really connect with the characters uh, that they're representing.
1: Yes. So... As you are traversing the area, one of the th- interesting things about this game is there seems to be a depth of story and lore to the game that is not super apparent as you're going through the game. I'm sure I I didn't dive in deep into the lore, but you can you can tell based on different things that you're finding throughout the world that there is a lot of things going on that you don't understand until you dive deeper into if that. you're
0: interested more in that uh the youtuber Mossbag bag has many multiple hour-long videos on the lore that are very uh, interesting if you uh are so inclined a lot of them helped me piece together what i was actually doing and why i was doing different things uh because that's kind of, it can be a sticking point in the game of like what am i doing and why am i doing it a lot of times it's drawn from this mystery of like, why is this rundown city here? What's, what's around this corner? So this is a definitely an exploration game where if you're not going to be intrigued into backtracking, uh, trying to find secret passageways, figuring out how stuff connects, um, it might not be up your alley. And in addition to that, I would say this game is difficult uh, yeah. It's not insurmountable, but be prepared to die multiple times. And there might be times where you have to face the same boss enemy over and over again. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was telling you earlier, I feel like the, this definitely, this is a an overused uh, analogy, but that it's very Similar to Dark Souls in a lot of ways. Lore uh, is very reminiscent of Dark Souls. Who presents the lore in the exact same way. Uh, very vague. Trying to piece it together. There's a story there. But you need to put the work in. It's not just like going to present it to you. Tied not, up you're in not going to
1: hit any cutscenes that are just going to be like. And this is what happened next. You have defeated the thing. This is what happens.
0: Yes. Uh, so there's that. You have your, your checkpoints. Which are in this game are sitting on benches, where if you die, that's where you'll start up again. Uh, When you do die, uh,
1: you lose all the money that you have uh, accumulated so far in the game. You can retrieve it if you go back to the area that you died and kill what's called a Shade, which is kind of like your character... Uh, Like a ghost version A ghost version of your character you gotta hit a couple times, and then you get all of your money back. But if you die... A second time before you retrieve that uh, ghost, be- beating that ghost a second time, or beating them after you have died, you lose all of the in this in this game you lose all the money that you have uh, accumulated, which is called geo
0: in this game. So I, I think there's definitely some reminiscence of that. Um, so I, I just think it, it, you should be aware of it upfront that uh, this game is easy to get lost in. It's It's very easy to be like, I don't know what I need to do next. And sometimes the bosses can be really hard and you might just feel like you're Mm -hmm. slamming your head against a brick wall. Like, I can't beat this. This is really frustrating.
1: And I would say the, the biggest area of difficulty is those boss battles. Most of the enemies that you encounter as you are traversing the different areas usually aren't extremely difficult to defeat. They usually have one small thing that they do and you can usually understand that quite quickly the bosses however have a lot more health and they have a number of different stages or things that they could do so as you will go back and fight them just like in a lot of those games where you need to learn the boss this game is the same thing you go back to the boss again and now oh when they do this thing when they start charging at me i know that i can jump over top of them
0: yeah they do i think the enemies in this game are very fair the bosses are very fair and well-balanced. And what I mean by that is uh, when they're going to take a swing at you, there is an animation that takes place beforehand where you can eventually learn, oh, when he does this movement prior to coming at me, this is the attack he uses. And you learn how to combo your movement, jumping around uh, and dodging to avoid it. And so eventually you'll learn the moveset of... The, the basic enemies typically have just, like, one or two... They charge at thing. you, or they throw something at but you. But the bosses could have, you know, upwards of, you know, six, seven different moves that you need to learn. Like, okay, when he does this, this is how I dodge it. But if he does you know, raises his sword above his head, this is how I I dodge it. Um, so I think it, it, it gives a sense of, like, you are studying and learning and mastering uh, these bosses, which I think is a really rewarding feeling, which... I think unraveling the mystery of, like, how things are connected and becoming found instead of lost, uh, coupled with the adrenaline that comes from finally mastering a boss, are, like, the two elements of this game that really hit home Mm -hmm. uh, and make it as enjoyable as it is. So, I think I want
1: to talk a little bit about how the gameplay actually runs. You might have picked up on some of this, but at the start of the game, you pretty much just have a sword. You can run, you can walk, you can jump, and you have a sword, which in this game is called a nail, so it's like a little nail that your character is fighting. And I kind of, we've talked about it being bug-themed, but I think a lot of the way that your character works, you don't feel like you're a bug. You feel like you're some humanoid character that's running around on two legs with two arms and... Uh, You're fighting with a sword. Uh, So it's not like you have bug... uh, I'm shooting a web at somebody um, or I'm crawling around uh, on the ground. It's a lot of platforming and jumping around. um, And I actually didn't realize that you were supposed to be a a bug. Like That wasn't my first impression of the character. And so if that is something that's kind of like, I don't really want to play a bug-based game that is not something that would hold me back from, from suggesting this game to somebody else. That is not the core mechanic or the core feel of the game.
0: Yeah. And in addition to that, I think it's very interesting bug theme definitely permeates though, in that like at the, uh, start of the game, you show up in the town called dirt's mouth, like almost like the top of an anthill where the dirt has come out. And the game is, you are moving down through these tunnels, spreading out, uh, finding passageways into new areas for sure but like everything really feels connected and organic and like a reason for it to be there and the biome of the different areas are very distinct so it's not just like dark damp caves Mm -hmm. you know you have lush green foresty areas with enemies in there that reflect that biome uh there is this somewhat hard to find secret area which is a beehive which all the bees are in and it's you know honeycombs in the background it's bright and vibrant you have like the fungal wastes which are like you know mushroom themed the poison uh I it's very cool how you can just show up in an area and just based off of the environment in the background have a sense of where you are and they have a a degree of interconnectivity to Mm -hmm. them so you're like okay even if you you're, like, trying to figure out your map. Uh, which this game, I think, does a very interesting way. In that you can buy these maps from Cornifer, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, if you find him in the level. Uh, but it does not tell you where you are. It's literally, it just shows you, like, a combination of rooms. Uh, and, like, you have to kind of figure out where you are. There's a, a skill you can unlock that you that allows you to have your pinpoint... On the map where you are, um, I think uh, that kind of goes into these different power-ups that you get that are called notches and charms. You want to cover that a little bit, Brad?
1: Yeah, I was going to talk about that for a second, and I was actually going to ask you how you played because there is the charm, which is the compass, the Wayward Compass, I think is what it's called. Yes. And you have a certain number of notches
0: in your uh, you, that you have. They're represented as dots on. It. So you have a certain number of dots you can use yes, up. Yes. You
1: have a, a certain number of yes. And so that one takes up one of your notches, which will pinpoint your area. And I almost always have the compass notch or compass charm equipped on mine because
0: I like knowing exactly where I'm at. Um, so I never use it. Never. I My first playthrough, I used it when I figured it out. I have a very good sense of the layout now uh, after having played the game like three or four times. And I basically can navigate my way just from the the map screens um mm. as they are um, a lot of times and I, I will know just like okay this is how i go i don't even pull an app up i know i need to go from this location to this location and yeah. i can get there pretty quickly and so there are in the game
1: there are all different types of charms that could help you in different ways one of the things that i mentioned at the beginning of the of the game is that you just kind of start with your nail you're running around slicing things up with your sword your nail. As the game progresses, though, you get access to... They call it soul, but it's kind of like a magic. Things that you can use to... That is attacking that is not necessarily just your sword. And also, I was going to ask, like, do you play a more melee-oriented character or a character who is sitting back and kind of shooting these spells
0: across the stage? So to gain soul, you have to hit the enemies and build it up. Um, and then you use your soul to heal... And then you can also use your spells. Um, I'd say vast majority of the game I play is uh, almost melee exclusive. Um, there are a couple of different boss fights where equipping uh, a lot of different uh, spell upgrades to make my uh, spells more powerful uh, is the route that I take. So typically I will stay melee and then find the boss that I'm going to and then right before I fight the boss, I'll find one of the benches that you can only change your equipped uh, charms. charms when you're out on a bench. So I'll find the bench, change my build up for specific bosses, uh, and then go fight that boss. As soon as I beat it, I'll switch back to like my more melee exploring uh, build. Oh which is essentially
1: what I would do as well. And that would be the one, like when I went to a boss fight is when I'd make sure I got rid of my compass and I would do the same thing that you were mentioning, but I would be leaning on the compass. And I also like having the, the charm that like grabs all the geo that you have. Mm. Like you, when you kill an enemy geo falls out of them and you'd have to go run over and pick it up. But I like keeping the thing equipped where it just picks it up for me. So I don't have to worry about going and picking up uh, the geo as it falls. But is there any other, like, things that you like doing with your charms or the way that you play that you think is maybe
0: unique or different? I'd say I'm pretty basic melee. I like having extra reach and I like swinging faster. Uh, those are probably the ones I value the most. One of the... We, we kind of mentioned just, like,
1: the exploration aspect of things and then the boss battle aspect of things. And I just want to go back to the fact that I feel like the boss battles are extremely fun just the way that they're they're set up the way that uh you learn the battle as you go through it i, I don't know i, I just want to praise that aspect of the game again i feel like if it was just the exploration aspect and the bosses were lacking that this game wouldn't be nearly as
0: fun as it is yes the the combat is so simple but everything it needs to be uh, as far as jumping swinging your nail uh eventually you learn you can dash uh, back and forth to help you, you know, traverse quickly or get out of range quickly from an enemy attack. And it, there's no, nothing really super deep about it, but like you can do what's called pogoing off of uh, enemies, which is when you swing down with your nail and you're jumping above them. If you hit them, your character will bounce up like a pogo stick. And if you get your rhythm down right, you can basically just. Jump, stay above them, and just keep bouncing over top of them while doing damage. Uh, so, stuff like that can feel really rewarding. Uh, and just the movement just feels so crisp and fluid. Uh it does not feel like there's a whole lot of just, like, unfair moments. It's typically, like, I it did what I, I asked it to. Uh, I, it's precise enough that I can get, like, with you know, just right up razor edge to taking damage and not take it. But it's also forgiving enough in that, like, if you do take damage, if you can find a way to get away, you can heal, which basically just takes time and the soul that you've collected, uh, you know, a couple seconds. So you can't just do it in the middle of a frantic fight because enemies will just keep hurting you while you you're... need to
1: find a moment when they're doing a, a move a far enough away from you that you can heal, or you hit them enough and they kind of have a, a pause in the in the boss battle which I think is sitting there so that you have time to heal. They're just sitting there. You can go and attack them. If you attack them, they start attacking you back again. But if you go and heal real quick, you have a little bit of breathing room for that. So I just like how, they, how those are all laid out. So when you played this game originally, did you just uh, explore everything on your own? Did you ever get to a point where you started using guides or looking at different things online to help
0: you know what you needed to do next? My first playthrough, I did it completely on my own. I got lost a couple different times for a decent amount of time, not understanding where to go. Um, but I made it to the end, and I beat what I thought was the final boss, and got uh, yeah, the end credits. So I'm like, I, I beat I the game. At, at that point, I started playing a second playthrough, and I was looking up different like tips and tricks and shortcuts on some guides and stuff, and realized that I had missed... Probably 40% of the game. There was a bunch of areas I had never been to, a bunch of bosses I never fought. Uh, there was uh, a bunch of upgrades I didn't get. and Which, which upgrades did you not get? Um, I did not think I got the upgraded... Uh, there's a spell that shoots upwards. I don't know if I've ever seen that. <laughs> well, you can get the spell that shoots upwards, and then you also can upgrade it to a more powerful version. Uh, you have... um. Like, I never made it to, uh, like, the platforming gauntlet of the White Palace. Uh, There's a bunch of NPCs I didn't meet. There's a ton of, like, bosses I didn't fight. I didn't realize at the time that there's a number of bosses that you can fight. And then you can go back to them a second time after you have this special item called the Dream Nail. And you can fight an upgraded version of them uh, that's way way more difficult, with a bigger, more aggressive move set. And so it's just like my eyes were... And then I realized that there is a boss uh, rush mode or like with all these extra challenges that like it, the game just blew me away at that point when I realized how much more. just more there was. And it's presented in such a way of like if you want to find it and you want to do more... You can, but it'd be so easy for me to have just played my, my playthrough, finished the game, set it down and thought I was done. Like they were very confident in the fact that, hey, the people who are playing this game love it and they're going to want more and they will look for more and community aspect will build towards more. They didn't feel like they need to advertise super blatantly in the game of, hey, you missed this thing, go fight this boss. Hey, you missed this thing, go fight this boss. Like, I feel like a lot of developers, if they spent the time to to craft this really intricate, fun boss fight, that they would say, nope, I'm putting it, you have to beat this boss in order to progress the story, because I want everyone to see all this hard work that I did. Mm-hmm. And they just didn't. I think part of it is the fact that this game was originally funded on Kickstarter, and there was a bunch of extra stretch goals after the first original uh, funding was done, And so they would release updates, which would add all all those other aspects. And so the community aspect was really strong of, like, people were really excited for these new aspects uh, being released. Um, But the most amazing thing is, is they never charged extra. Like, even for people who didn't back the original Kickstarter, is you have access to all of the expansions they ever put out for just the same price as the base game. Which is already ridiculous. I think it's like $20.00. When it's not on sale. And it's on sale, at least now, it's on sale very frequently. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's developed by Team Cherry. And this is their first game that they ever did, right? Yes. And I'm very excited because they have a sequel to Hollow Knight that is coming out in the next year or two, supposedly. It's been the next year for like the last three
0: years. I've been waiting with bated breath
1: for this. So I, But I, they have put out some new things recently. It's called, it's called Silk Song. Um, and I'm very excited to play the sequel to this game. It, so.
0: Which actually came out of one of the uh, stretch goals for the original Kickstarter. They, all, one of the stretch goals was the offering of playing a second playable character called Hornet, who is in another character in the game. And when they started adding the content, they realized, oh, we have enough here to add a whole another game. And so they built this whole other game, which has not yet released. But they're giving the Silk Song for free to all the people who backed the original Kickstarter because it was part of the original Kickstarter goals. So I think that's really awesome. They just seem like really uh, they care a lot about quality and about community, and I think it really shows in the game.
1: Definitely. I I feel like we have been showering Hollow Knight with praise so far, so I want to ask you the question of, is there anything that you feel like is a drawback to Hollow Knight, a negative, something that you would want to warn people about before
0: setting them free on the game? I mentioned it earlier, but the game is difficult. Um, and there will be times where you fight the same boss over and over and over again. And you're not always going to have your bench or your checkpoint really close to the boss. So sometimes it can be frustrating, especially if you haven't figured out there's like some secret paths uh, that make the the walk back to the boss quicker, that it can be kind of frustrating sometimes to go walk a long ways get to a boss die really quickly and then spend a decent amount of time getting back and never really feeling like you had the opportunity to learn the move set or have a chance to study before you just died because you're spending more time getting to the boss than you are at than the you boss are. i think it does a good job and it. it doesn't always do that there are certain cases where it feels that way though but it's not universal across the board. And mm-hmm. a lot of those bosses that it does do that are more of the optional bosses where you don't actually have to complete it to, to win the game.
1: Yeah, I, I would, I definitely felt that way of like, hey, I need to go back and get all my money back by defeating like the ghost me. But then you're right next to the boss again. Because you have to traverse all the way back to that boss in order to retrieve the, all that money. And so I'm the type of person who just wants to keep throwing myself at the same... The same obstacle over and over and over again. There is a specific uh, challenge in the game called the Colosseum of Fools, and the best worst area of the game. And it's like it's like it's all these different enemies coming at you, and you have to figure out the different things that are coming up, up coming up next, and stuff like that. It's very very well made and easy to be like, oh, I can totally do this. But I kept dying over and. Over and over. And, it and when he says dying,
0: like, he means he spends ten minutes fighting this gauntlet of gladiators, of then, bugs, over and over again, and gets to this end part, or close to the end, and then dies. Yeah. It's not like a just a quick death. It's like this tense, your palms are sweating because you feel like you're getting close, and your yes. health is just on the edge of going... Survivability. And then you die, and you just get frustrated. And
1: to me, it's doing that... Over and over and over and over and over again, to the point where I'm like, I am not going to do this again. That happened a couple different times at a couple different bosses where I'm just like, I'm not ready to fight this boss. There are ways to get into areas that you, like, quote unquote, shouldn't be in yet because you don't have the upgrades that would help you fight that boss yet.
0: Or you haven't upgraded your sword to do more damage. Right, so
1: there's different things that could happen (laughs) that would be like, hey, you're not going to... Like, it's going to be really hard to do this. And I don't think that the game necessarily, like, says, like... It it never, it never like, bars you from an area other than, like, hey, this jump is too high. You can't actually get through it yet. Um, And so if you get to an area that you're going to go fight this boss and it's way too powerful for you, you don't necessarily realize how much more powerful. And there was one portion of the game where well usually you can go and get your money back and then and then leave that area there was one boss and i don't remember it's it's the boss that's kind of like a nosk
0: is a nosk you see the he looks like a spider kind of yeah
1: it looks like a spider um but i died there and then in order to get back get your money you can't get out again you have to go back so i did that boss like probably 30 times in a row in, until i beat it and I've seen like people like say, Oh, this is how you beat it, and it's like really easy because you go sit in the corner and just attack up. But I didn't know that. I was like doing it the intended way. And but it, it that was really frustrating to me being like, I can't progress because I have to go back and get my money because I have so much money sitting there.
0: That's the thing though, is you technically don't There's I know, but so I much did, extra money in the game. That... And I didn't
1: realize that. This is like all those different things. But there are those frustration moments. Um but I think both of us are very much so like the the difficulty of this
0: game probably because we both have played quite a lot of different games if you're new to to playing video games i think this game would be just almost insurmountably hard i think if you've played games and understand platforming and understand just the basic mechanics and just are a, a fluid motion as far as how controls work i think this is a challenge that will be hard but you can achieve Mm -hmm. but this is not something i would recommend for someone as like their first you know attempt at playing video games you know because they like the art style like my wife does not play video games she loves the art style she loves the feel of the game she loves the lore she loves loves all the videos she's not a gamer and it would just i don't think it'd be possible for her to even beat like the first or second boss she'd have to put hours and hours and hours into something that was intended to take you like 30 minutes to an hour to complete yeah
1: something that you mentioned to me earlier this week when we were talking about this game is that (laughs) there are multiple different endings as well, which I didn't, I did the same thing that you did where I beat the final, the final boss and then the end of the game and then just like, Oh, I'm done. I did it. And then I didn't even realize that there were like, that wasn't the only ending that you could get. Um, and so when I replayed it for this episode, I I did this, I was like, Oh, I'm going to go do the, the, the further, like the, the true ending, the better endings. Um, and I didn't end up doing that. I just like I finished the game again, and the game ended.
0: So did you play through just two times? Is that?
1: I finished the game. I finished the the, the game through the the pad ending twice.
0: Okay. So my first playthrough after completing it. So Hollow Knight's confusing in its percentage system because the base game, when it was originally released, is one hundred percent, and then every uh, expansion or other the update updates that they put out uh, increased. The uh, percentage amount. So, to actually to fully play the game, you have to get something like 109%. And so, uh, my first playthrough, I think I got 106% completion. Okay. Um, and then, I've upon that, I've beat the game probably two or three other times with just the bad ending. And then, on this uh, most recent playthrough, I got through with the lesser of the two best endings. And I just, the challenge to get the absolute best ending, like, is way beyond my skill level. Really? Like, it's just utter ridiculous degrees of precision and uh, boss rush modes you have to beat uh, basically without getting hit or a, a whole bunch of these different criteria uh, on. Which I think is super fun that they offer that. For, like, the true diehard speedrunners or just people who want to have the most absolute mastery challenge of the game. Yeah. But it's not something that you wanted to go and do. No.
1: I am very interested in getting, like, because I, the second time I went through and knowing, knowing that there was a better better ending, I have, I want to do that. And I've still been working towards that, but I haven't quite done it yet. Um, I feel like we've talked about this game quite a lot. And so I think it is the time in the show where we switch over to our list of games, and figure out where Hollow Knight lands in our queue. So, currently, on our queue, number one is Celeste, number two, Dead Cells, number three, Into the Breach, and number four, Tunic. Do you want to start? I think we should start at the bottom. I agree. Uh, so, let's match Hollow Knight up against Tunic. Uh, Both exploring, uh, covering some mysteries... If you die, you go back to the campfire, the mm-hmm. bench, the whatever, all those kinds of things.
0: They both have that similarity. Hollow Knight blows it out of the water for me. Yeah.
1: And every, like, the way that it looks, the way that it feels, the the tr- the way that you traverse, you feel so much more invested. It's so much more
0: polished. Like, yes, Hollow Knight, far beyond.
1: Okay. That was easy.
0: <laughs> all right. Into the Breach versus Hollow Knight for number three. There's not a lot of straight comparisons. Uh but seeing as Hollow Knight just is this really polished game that has just so much content and I just enjoy it so much more, I just have so much more connection to it. This is another one that... Yeah, I feel like it's, it's an easy
1: easy thing for me to put Hollow Knight above Into the Breach as well. Uh, let's just move on. Sure. All right, Hollow Knight and Dead Cells. They are both platforming games where you're fighting enemies, so there's a similarity in that there are the the boss a- aspects of the game that both of them have similarities in if you have played any amount of dead cells as you if you have listened to our episode on dead cells i played a lot of dead cells there is a weapon in dead cells which is the nail from hollow knight so usually in the game dead cells you can only attack right or left but the nail allows you to attack straight up and straight down just like you can and pogo and you can pogo just like you can in Hollow Knight, so it's it's kind of cool because they're both indie games that have like kind of been like, hey, like I'm gonna, can we take some of the things that you guys have been doing over there and put it over into our game? Uh, I guess it's pulling it into Dead Cells, and Dead Cells has done that quite a lot with a lot of different indie games, whether it was Jump King or uh, or uh, Hollow
0: Knight, different things like that. I'd say. For the vast majority of comparisons... The one comparison I put in Dead Cells' favor, I would say, is the amount of upgrades and different weapons you can fight with. I feel like that customization aspect and finding your, your play style uh, is really fun in Dead Cells. Uh, exploration, I give to Hollow Knight. Combat, I give to Hollow Knight. Platform, I give to Hollow Knight. Lore, I give to Hollow Knight. Just overall feel, I give to Hollow Knight. Like... Yeah.
1: Hollow Knight is an incredible game. I love Dead Cells. I've probably played more Dead Cells... Because of that that loop of like even if you finish, you're like, you can do the next level of, of difficulty in Dead Cells. So I've probably played more Dead Cells, but when I look at the two games, I would definitely say that Hollow Knight just is another league above Dead Cells. So, how would you compare it to Celeste? Celeste versus Hollow Knight is really the only one that I think is intriguing to talk about. Celeste has a much more linear Story, that you pretty much are going to get all the different things that the developers are trying to show you. Uh, it has a much more rooted in our world type of story. Uh, some things that things that we can relate to, and alongside that it is an incredible platformer and has so many interesting things uh, just mechanically in the game. Whereas Hollow Knight is a is an experience. Outside of maybe things that we're going to be thinking about on a regular basis, Hollow Knight. In this, in in the, they're both very well designed platformers. Where Celeste is much more focused on hardcore looking at the platforming aspect, where Hollow Knight is much more looking into how to defeat the boss, how to uh, dance around this boss and and defeat him in a in a way. That is not necessarily like a linear path. Like you have to do it this a way. A lot
0: more exploring. There's
1: way more exploring. Whereas there is small bits of exploring in Celeste. But there's a lot more exploring in Hollow Knight. That's part of what the game is. Whereas Celeste is kind of like a side thing that you might do. If you wanted to get all of the strawberries.
0: Yeah. I. If you can't tell. I adore this game. And. The feel of this game is, is unlike anything else. Like you're just immersed in this world. And the art is phenomenal. It's music is beautiful. I, we talked previously about how I don't really pay attention to music. This music, I just love. Because a lot of it is when you're exploring. You're not so focused on the the combat. There is good music during the combat. But I just feel like the ambiance that it creates and the, the musical tones that take in different parts of the world really make it feel unique and I actually know the name of the composer is Chris Larkin. Like, I don't, I don't know that about other stuff. Like the fact that I know the composer of this, I think uh, shows that just the quality of the, I want to know who, who uh, actually composed the music. Uh, The combat is so good. The, the story is much more you think about, like Celeste's story is really good. It tells a very tight narrative and it gets its point across. And but I feel like you are able because it's not straightforward. A lot of times you're just pondering. Like I'll find myself just thinking about Hollow Knight or like how this connects, or like you come up with some you know story. theory or story or like you know tale. Does, does you date Hornet? Do they like each other? Yeah. And so, <laughs> in my personal opinion, I have to put Hollow Knight in one. I I, I agree. I agree. Hollow Knight. I... Hollow Knight. Is in contention for being my favorite game of all time. Not just indie games, just any game. Its polish is way beyond any indie game I've ever experienced. Yeah, like it's not just pixel art. Like it, it's got kind of its own art style that is just crisp and clean and beautiful. It's kind of wild
1: to think about how few people worked on this game. Sometimes when you like watch the credits to some game, it's just like. Oh my gosh, it's just so long. This game I was like, I can't skip the credits. But this credits didn't take very long to go and through. the
0: vast majority of them are thanking their backers and their playtesters. It's yeah. literally like, team Cherry, here's the four people that worked on the game. Here's our composer and the thank people you, who thank translated it. Thank you. Yes.
1: <laughs> people translated it. More there's more people who translated it to different languages than who were programmers on the game.
0: And the fact that it looks as good, plays as good as it does, it's wild. it is as a value pop proposition, there is Literally nothing that can beat Hollow Knight. Oh, for how cheap the game is, how much content is in it. It's just a marvel uh, of a game.
1: And I've heard many people uh, say that Hollow Knight is the best Metroidvania ever made. And it's like all the big budget Metroidvanias that have been made. And a lot of the newer Metroidvanias, people, some people really like them still. Um, but...
0: It's my benchmark to compare every Metroidvania. And I played Metroid Dead recently, and I'm like, it was good. wasn't as good as Hollow Knight. And Hollow Knight was way cheaper.
1: It's kind of hard to even say, like, <laughs> is there ever going to be a Metroidvania that will hit as hard as Hollow Knight? Because it, it created quite the stir, Hollow Knight did. And it's very popular.
0: People have played a, their pants off this game. But I also feel like a lot of people don't know about it. And so, this is one of the reasons we want to do this podcast, is to shed lights on gems like Hollow Knight. So... If it sounds at all up your alley, we highly recommend you playing Hollow Knight. So, we're excited to see if anything could even possibly dethrone Hollow Knight uh, going forward. So, I think uh, it's going have have a, a,
1: to be an uphill battle for anything trying to go and take the number one spot from Hollow Knight.
0: So, from us at MDQ, have a good one.